Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Thermodynamics may seem scary, but harnessing it can help us solve many of the big problems facing the world today. From making smart materials that can self-assemble and self-heal, to figuring out ways to maximise things that are abundantly around us, like sunlight, conversion of salt water to drinking water, or from conversion of sunlight and moisture to hydrogen fuel cells. Thermodynamics is a tricky subject, one that we don't really fully understand in all of its intricacies, and is quite difficult for humans to get their head around, but at its core, some of the parts of it are actually quite simple. For example, the laws of thermodynamics. The first law which is basically the law of conservation of energy. Energy can't be created or destroyed in an isolated system. If you had some amount of energy and expend that energy, it sort of goes to another state and it's a net zero at the end of the day. You can't have a perpetual motion machine that's producing energy out of nowhere. There has to be some kind of transference from one form to another. The second law is that things break and everything always goes from being very well organised to unorganised, and this is just a natural process. A sandcastle built at a beach is nicely packed and assembled, but it will generally either be washed away by the wind or the waves, or just time itself leading to the decay of the particles. And this idea is that the entropy, the amount of chaos and disorder in a system, always increases. And that's pretty much true in a small sense and a global sense. And the third law of thermodynamics states, as we get close to absolute zero, then the entropy or the chaos in the system pretty much approaches constant value. Basically means if everything gets really cold and there's no energy left in something, then it's not going to move and it's just going to be still and motionless at some fixed degree of chaos or measure of entropy. And that also, again, makes sense. If you suck all the energy out of something, you can't do anything. And these three laws combined with the zeroth law, which basically states that two objects in equilibrium with each other will also be in equilibrium with a third part, which is basically how we define temperature, all combine to give us this complicated field known as thermodynamics. And yes, thermodynamics and the understanding of it is what gives us everything from engines through to most energy-based interactions that you see in the world around you today, which is lights, power plants, you name it. But one of the concepts in thermodynamics is that things try to reach an equilibrium, a balance point, a steady state. And that equilibrium might be a local equilibrium, which means that, okay, an object is just going to settle amongst itself. Let's say a piece of metal sticking in a fire. That piece of metal will reach a local equilibrium when all of it is at the same temperature. That's pretty nice. But most systems aren't simple. Most things aren't actually in equilibrium. There's always producing energy or changing or interacting with the world around it, absorbing new energy in from the outside and then adapting to it. And on a macro level, these things might be in equilibrium. In the global setting of the universe, they might be in equilibrium. But in the system context, they're really not. And this means that it becomes very, very difficult to model and understand because now you have to understand what is interacting with this system from all possible angles. I have a block sitting outside in the sun. Okay, well, I know I can account for the sun imparting solar energy, but then maybe there's sound waves that are producing vibration. Oh, that's another source of energy. Uh, maybe there's also some wind that's hitting it. Okay, I've got to factor in that source of energy. Maybe a chemical reaction on the surface of the object due to the grass that it's sitting on. That, that's another thing I need to factor in. So building up this idea of equilibrium 
in a system is quite difficult, and we actually have some systems which we have to model as non-equilibrium systems. And if you listen to some scientists, they'll describe non-equilibrium systems as like everything in the universe, life, everything as we know it is all coming down to this kind of non-equilibrium system. But as we said, it's quite difficult to model these because you're trying to understand what every possible little factor that could influence something. And trying to balance all of those out, figure out what's important, what's not important, is quite a difficult challenge. So some researchers from the Department of Energy of the United States, Lawrence's Berkeley National Laboratory, which is Berkeley Lab, Berkeley Labs, demonstrated how we can kind of use this model of non-equilibrium to see how objects can still function in a predictable way. They've managed to make some particles self-assemble in response to sound waves. And it shows how lifelike behaviours can emerge in response to external forces, but in a predictable way, which we can predict using a framework for non-equilibrium systems. And this experiment sounds really, really complicated, but at its heart, it's effectively really simple. They cut up a bunch of plastic straws and put it in a glycerin water solution uh, and then attach them to a speaker. And over time, these actually, these chunks of straw assembled themselves to match the sound wave coming from the speaker. With the peaks and troughs, they bunched up in some areas and spread apart in other areas, much in the same way as we would expect. But this is an emergent property. So they're just basically responding to a new input in this system, this sound wave's vibration. So each of these little pieces of straw are very, very dumb on their own. They're just a chunk of plastic floating in a liquid. But they're able to organise and self-assemble into a, another shape, a structure, just in response to sound. Or another way, in response to energy that is in their environment, things that are being put in. And this state is really, really ordered. It's quite organised. It's a low entropy state, which is quite interesting. So they're basically managing to assemble themselves into a, a state that's not that's not equilibrium. It's not just disorder that's sort of spread out across the system. They've actually managed to build themselves up, build themselves up in a specific way to follow the beat from the speaker. And okay, cool. So these little bits of plastic can assemble themselves in response to some sound. But what if we, you know, shove the plastic around again and break up this big party? Well, the band gets itself back together. These particles then go back into this really highly ordered state again to match the sound wave. Think about it another way, they, they actually are showing a capacity, even these dumb particles, to self-heal, which is, again, kind of cool. So why do we care about this? Well, non-equilibrium systems like this show how some materials can have a memory, a memory of a previous state that they return to, or can be driven to a particular configuration based on an external input. This could have applications for everything from adaptive camouflage that responds to sound and light waves or blank slate type materials that just have properties that are created on demand by externally controlled drives, energy, power, motion, vibration, you name it. And what was interesting about this study is that it not just proved that particles can have self-assembly, we've known that for a little bit of time, but dare to do that in a way that still follows a general framework model that we can then use and apply to other systems which is quite interesting. So now that these researchers, Shan Zhang is the lead author of the paper, as well as assistant co-lead authors, Chad Rapp and Nicholas Bachelard, have basically proven a general framework model that we can use to simplify some of these non-equilibrium systems and make predictions about how they will behave, which will should help the development of more materials like this in the future. 
So I just goes to show that even a simple experiment can help us learn about complicated systems that teach us about how brains or chemical systems or life in general deals with the chaos around us and helps us model things that are inherently very difficult and chaotic in a simplified way. This is some great work being done out of the Department of Energy's Lawrence Barclay National Laboratories. no such thing as a free lunch. If you get energy from somewhere, it has to come from somewhere. It has to have a price that is paid, energy that is converted or transformed in somehow, somewhere, somewhere. And that's one of the big principles of thermodynamics. But some new research done from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia, led by Dr. Torben Danica and Professor Kurosh Kalantazeta, have been investigating a way to turn just the paint that we cover our houses with into, well, an almost endless supplier of energy, which would be a nice, neat, innovative solution to the energy crisis that we're having here in Australia at the moment. And just takes something that we take for granted, sunlight and water vapour just that's existing in the air and makes it work harder for us, makes it do something useful for us, generating electricity. So how this paint works is effectively it's a type of solar paint. And this paint absorbs water vapour and splits it into hydrogen. And why that's interesting is, well, hydrogen, if you make a hydrogen fuel cell, is pretty much one of the cleanest available sources of electricity. Easy to use, easy to burn, easy to extract energy out for it in high efficiency, and relatively effective to produce. It's just difficult to scale which is why it's not as widespread as it is nowadays. But if you just painted a house with the material that's producing it anyway, well, it makes it much easier to scale. So the paint works because it contains a newly developed compound that acts a bit like the gel, the packing gel that you see inside all of your packing boxes or deliveries or packets of food. This silica-based gel absorbs moisture and keeps it away from things like food or medicine electronics to keep them fresh and dry. But unlike normal silica gel, this new synthetic molybdenum sulfide acts as a semiconductor, basically acts as a little bit of a microchip, and catalyzes the splitting of the water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen. So not only does it absorb the water, but then it makes it something useful out of it. It splits off the hydrogen and the oxygen into separate areas, enabling it to be collected. So by mixing this compound in with a titanium oxide particles leads to basically a sunlight absorbing paint that produces hydrogen fuel cell from the solar energy and the moist air. So by adding this titanium oxide particles into it, the titanium oxide absorbs the sunlight and gives that little boost of energy that this semiconductor needs to split the hydrogen in the water. And that's amazing because there's a lot of surfaces exposed to sunlight and we can make better uses of it. And solar panels are one, but solar panels aren't appropriate on all surfaces. Plus, if solar panels get wet, yeah, it's okay, but it doesn't, it decreases the efficiency of the system. And this is a nice way of adding a coating to another available surfaces and harnessing even more energy that's otherwise just going to waste. And it's a really fascinating idea 
making energy that's abundant and transforming it in a way that it's useful. Now, then you need to collect all this hydrogen and then do something with it. But it's still a pretty nifty idea, and it will have some difficulties in the collection mechanism and the areas to scale, but it would be a fantastic way of creating another fuel source, which could use directly in cars or other things, to power our world. It doesn't require big, expensive lithium-ion batteries. Moving from Melbourne in Australia all the way across to the King Abdullah's University of Science and Technology, KALST, in Saudi Arabia, they've taken me at the same problem, how to turn something that's abundant, like sunlight, in somewhere like Saudi Arabia or Australia, both of those countries have a lot of heat and a lot of sunlight, and they need energy, renewable sources of energy. So this team of researchers from KALST, led by Renan Lee, a PhD student, working together with Associate Professor Peng Wang, have been studying a way to use the transition metals and carbon, otherwise known as maxines, into a desalination technique that can evaporate water using power supplied only by the sun. Now, desalination is an important part of providing water to places which have a limited supply of clean and fresh water. Places like Saudi Arabia, places like Australia. And this concept comes from finding out that titanium-3 carbon-2 can actually trap the energy of sunlight and this energy from the sunlight can be used to purify water by evaporation with a very, very high level of energy efficiency. So the benefit of most desalination techniques is that, well, yes, it produces water, but at what price? How much energy do you need to expend to get there? So everyone is always searching for a very, very efficient way to do this. Now, we know that maxines already are used as electromagnetic shielding due to their high ability to absorb wavelengths of electromagnetic radiation far beyond the visible range. And so by taking that known knowledge about these maxines, they decided, well, what is the interaction between maxines and sunlight? And what they found initially is that the, the Ti3C2 converts the energy of the sunlight to heat with nearing 100% efficiency, which is crazy. That's, like, incredibly efficient. But it's not the only thing that does it. Other materials, including carbon nanotubes and graphenes, achieve the near-perfect efficiency conversion, which is what they found whilst doing this research. So instead of trying to focus on photothermal materials or these solar panel batteries, why not use the the ones that we've got readily available now, like carbon nanotubes, graphene, and Ti3C2. So then to explore how these maxines could be used for water purification, they fabricated a very, very thin and flexible membrane, a little bit of a polystyrene heat barrier on the back to prevent the heat from escaping once you've converted it. And using this system that you could float on some water, it can evaporate the water at about an 84% efficiency, just at normal levels of natural sunlight. So the problem is now that you've evaporated the water, great. But now you need to convert it back, condense it into liquid water. And that's one of the other challenges that needs to be solved in this research. But getting that conversion of sunlight to evaporation of water is an important part of that process. So and now capturing, converting and yielding the water back to clean drinking water is the next step. And it's something that could be scaled quite easily and effectively. 
And so this is some great research being done out of the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. I'm using the power of sunlight to help produce hydrogen fuel cells or even desalinate water to understanding how the properties of equilibrium systems can be used to make things self-assemble and self-heal. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.